are listening to the Run the Damn Ball podcast. This is your host, Daniel Magnuson. We talk about Nebraska, college football, everything in between. We also dabble in some other sports going on, uh, like basketball. And today we're going to be talking a bit about soccer, especially because we got Peyton Thomas on the podcast and uh, he loves soccer. So we'll get into some World Cup stuff. Um, we're going to also talk about Nebraska football, especially the transfer portal, um, because that's you know always a hot off-season topic here. And then uh, one of the bigger news stories this past week, Deion Sanders is becoming the new football coach at Colorado. So there's a lot to talk about there. And then we'll talk, of course, about conference championship week in college football, what happened, what could have happened. Um, so that's what we got coming up. And then, yeah, so we'll get ready. Uh, we got Peyton Thomas with me today, also Landon Hostrider. So happy to have you guys. And uh, they've both been on before. So they'll also be carrying the FIFA part of this <laughs> podcast, being that I haven't watched enough. But, well, um, yeah, anyway, happy to have you guys on. How you doing? Good. Thrilled to be involved. Sweet. Yeah, same. Great. Great to be here. Let's go. It is currently like 9.50. We planned to be here at 9.30, but here we are. I mean, this is pretty good for morning. But uh, we'll start with Nebraska football. So... I don't know if we can say like all the assistant stuff that's gone down, but we're pretty close to getting all the assistant coaches hired. But last night it came out that the only, it looks like the only assistant from the past staff that being kept is uh, offensive line coach Donovan Riola. And so, you know, what are some of the immediate reactions we have from that? I mean, you got, you got to be skeptical of it just with the offensive play this year, but I also don't want to be too quick to judge on him. I mean, I know that he's come out and said some things that, like, he didn't, he wasn't exactly the head guy in the O line room. It was more the his higher up. So, just kind of going back to my point, I was definitely skeptical, but I also want to give Ryle a chance. In terms of the actual O line, I'm not as worried. I think the O line has been a recruiting issue more than a talent issue, more than a coaching issue in the last years. When I mean, you think of the great Nebraska teams in the past and you watch those guys on film, it's all of the juniors and seniors that spent three or four years in the weight room growing. And then by the time they actually have to play for one or two years, they're just dominant, dominant human beings at the line of scrimmage. Nebraska hasn't had that, that same level of success with growing those players, mostly because everybody else in the country has the same or equal strength and training conditioning programs that Nebraska now has. So I think that, that it took a while for, especially Frost, somebody who grew up in that era of, oh, we can do this with the offensive line it's a different age of college football you can't do that you have to recruit better guys out of high school better athletes that have already been even in these high level training and athletic programs in high school to be ready to play on the line in years one or two especially two right and so i think that with riola you get him with the right coaching staff and the right recruiting hands around him i think the the offensive line is going to to start to to sort of patch itself a little bit more very true because there was at one point in time where Nebraska pretty much just rolled out like five farm boys who were all juniors and seniors and they were like really good but that was because of what you said they just had a strength and conditioning program that was ahead of most other programs and so yeah it it really is going to be a developing talent but also what you said recruiting is going to be huge I mean they need a lot of new pieces I think um, Frost a lot of what he did was try to recruit height like we had a lot of like six, seven, six, eight linemen, and then a lot of them didn't really pan out. I think the only one that has like, I actually have like aspirations of they could go pro is Prohaska, but he only played like a game and a half this past year because of injury. So yeah, no, it's really was like 
they recruited a lot of height and then a lot of those guys didn't pan out. And then, you know, so yeah, that's really what it was. And then one of your better, I mean, Nuri was out this past year with suspension. And so there was just a lot going on, but no, yeah, I definitely agree. And um, yeah, no, I mean, th- what are you going to say? I was going to say the only offensive lineman that Scott Frost sent to the NFL was Cam Jurgens, right? Yeah. He's six yes. two. Yeah. So, so he maybe was, the height, maybe the height doesn't, doesn't matter all that much. He was, yeah, he was a center here for like four years. And the funny thing, he was more like an athlete. He would, you know, carry the ball a lot in high school, and then he just put on a whole lot of weight. And so then he became center. I think he weighed like 290. I heard he would do – he would, like, condition with all the wide receivers. And yeah, like, he was a tight end coming here out of Beatrice. Yeah. He committed here as a tight end and then just gained a bunch of weight. I don't know exactly how he got to mm-hmm. be a center, but – well, he was already really athletic. Like yeah. He would literally condition in the spring and summer with, like, all the DBs and wide receivers. And they're like, whoa, he's like a lineman. And they're like, yeah, that's like what he does. So that's kind of – I mean, it makes sense he's in the NFL now. But, yeah, no, they'll have a lot of overhaul to do. They'll probably hit the portal for the O-line. Um, so I guess that we kind of have to mention this. I don't want to get too much into it um, because it, it was big news. So I remember last week I recorded a podcast on, like, Tuesday or Wednesday – um, with you know Josh Lill, and then I'm literally about to post the podcast in the evening. I don't remember if it was Wednesday or Thursday, but that was the evening that all the news broke about Mickey. So I kind of had to like go in and edit out everything that was said about Mickey because I just was like, I can't really have this in here. So um, I don't know. I think if you're listening, you probably know he's. Uh, oh man, this is a tough situation. So there's. He was arrested, like, was it Thursday afternoon? I think it was Wednesday evening, because I think I was in class when it happened. Okay. I think it was Wednesday evening. Yeah, Wednesday evening he was arrested. Um, I guess this is domestic violence is the what was the 911 call at his home. Yes. And so there's a lot of details we don't know. Um, obviously a sensitive situation. I don't know if we want to get too much into it, but it is just worth mentioning because at the time it was a big hot topic of, like, okay – um, is Mickey going to be retained as wide receivers coach? And now that was just the straight up like definite no, along with a lot more. So that'll probably be a story to follow in the future. But it's just unfortunate. So I think we have to wait for the full story to unravel yeah. before you yeah, really there's... can can like create conclusions for it. I think the biggest shame right now is just the fan base is kind of disappointed. I mean, obviously everybody was rooting for Mickey. Right, because of the results that he did get while he's interim head coach, and you saw the reaction from the players and all the guys that really started playing harder after there was a changing of the guard at head coach. And I think that you now have gray area about whether that guy, one, is who you thought he was, or two, going to stay in the program. So I think a lot of Husker fans are kind of just holding their breath, seeing what's going to come out of this and what they'll do. Yeah, it's one of those. And maybe it was bad that I even mentioned it, but I, th- I mean, it is. I mean, we talk about Nebraska football. It's only fair that we do. I think part of it's like, it was just such a shocker because he was that guy to like kind of steady the ship when Frost was fired, and so um, yeah, it is a wait and see situation, of course. And um, I just feel, I feel not only. I mean, it's tough for the family. Who knows exactly what all's gonna unravel from it, but also the players. I mean. Um, there's definitely guys, I mean, we'll get into it. Like a lot of guys came here cause of him. Um, Decoltis Crawford entered the portal, like literally two days later, I think. And so, um, I guess we can move on towards that. Um, I guess it's also one more thing. 
uh, with recruiting, did you see Ben Brommer flip to Iowa State? Yeah, I did see that. And that, that one really surprised me because ever since I followed him on like social media and kind of followed what he's been doing up there at Pierce, he's always been a Nebraska guy. Like he committed to Frost. He's, you know, he kind of stayed through him getting fired, stayed through Mickey, and then stayed through the whole rule higher. And then it was all, it was all kind of out of the blue. I mean, it kind of came out that there was a at-home visit with rule uh, in that area, and it the rumor was he visited Bramer and it went really well. So that was just really surprising to me, I guess. I don't really have too much to add. I don't know the full details of why. I just It felt surprising from my perspective. To be fair to him, I mean, Iowa State didn't have a good year last year, but it is a more like... <laughs> That was my alarm to wake up before you <laughs> called me. It is like a more stable, like, okay, Iowa State's, you know, they've had the same coach for, what was it, like five years now? Nebraska's in a transition phase now, so I kind of get where he's like, okay, I'm going to go here because it's more um, it's it's more guaranteed of what he's getting himself into. Also, playing the Big 12 as a receiver slash tight end is just better than the Big 10. So, you know, best of, best of luck to him at Iowa State, but... Uh, we can get into the Nebraska transfer portal stuff. I think if we get into the like, national, that's just that, that is its own podcast in itself. Yeah, there's like two thousand kids in the transfer portal right now. It's it's it is, basically becoming free agency almost. It is free agency. Uh, does Washington have any like big names in the portal or no? Not that I know of. I'd have to I'd have to do some research. Yeah, we'll get into Washington later. They kind of were the one team left out of the New Year's Six, uh, probably because of Kansas State. But so some of the big names that went in the portal for Nebraska, we don't have to mention all of them, but Dakotas Crawford, you know, if you saw the, what was, what was the company that, or the business, he had like an air conditioning some commercial. Unit. Yeah. And so it's going to be tough to lose him. He was going to be a really good player for us if he stayed um, wide receiver Dakotas Crawford. He'll be missed, but I understand he came here because of Mickey. And now that Mickey's gone, he's probably going to go to LSU or somewhere else to play wide receiver. Uh, being that he's from Louisiana, um, so was he also uh, supposed to go to LSU before Mickey Joseph? Did? That's true. Yeah, he, I yep. think he was committed there uh, prior, and now you know they're looking a lot better. Uh, there's some other names. The okay, this is the one name I was upset about leaving is Ernest Hausman. That was a surprise. Definitely. I mean, you come in as a true freshman, you play. I would say very well. I mean, he wasn't you know exceeding you know, blowing records out of the water or anything, but he played very well. And just to see that that day was really, again, just surprising. It's been a lot of surprises lately in the sports world for us. I think Hausman easily played himself out of Nebraska, which is too bad for the program because as an in-state kid, because he's from Columbus, isn't he? Mm -hmm. As an in-state kid that's playing that well as a freshman in a team that really is going to need four-year leaders, like Caleb Tanner's leaving, you need to have those kind of guys step up early in their career to just set, set a tone for long periods of time, guys that will come in and play like close to 50 games, he yeah. would have been one of those guys over the next few years because he wouldn't have missed a game. And it, it I mean, he he played himself out of Nebraska, I think, plain and simple. Because so he's going to get picked up by a really good program. He's, he's got that kind of talent. Yeah, I know. You're right. I think he's ranked the eighth best. I mean, of course, this is going to change because so many players have gotten in. But at one point, he was ranked number eight in the portal. Wow. And so, because um, he did have a good freshman year, he played a whole lot, especially after uh, Nick Henrich got hurt. And so, losing him hurts. He's kind of like a Luke Reimer, a guy who's going to play four years and set the tone on defense, as you said. Um, going to miss him. Some D linemen went into the portal, too. Uh, Mosai Newsom was really the only one who ever played. He played some this year. Uh, he's from Iowa. He's in the portal. And we also lost Jalen Weaver and Marquise Black. 
and they never really played. And so, um, not. I mean, I understand. Like, if you're a, a guy, a scholarship guy who's hardly ever played, I get leaving here, especially if it's your second or third year. So, um, that hurts. We lose. Actually, no, it doesn't hurt. Take that back. We also lose Brendan Frankie. Uh, he was really just a kickoff guy, though. He wasn't an actual like kicking player. So, um, any other names that stand out to you guys? I was just gonna say, I wonder if Frankie wants to kick, and that's why he that's why he took off. Because I feel like out of the portal, that's a big risk if you're a kickoff guy, <laughs> right? <Yeah. laughs> With yeah. all the guys that go get yeah. picked up in the portal. No, Brant Banks sticks out to me because he's a huge loss for basketball. <laughs> yeah, he played one basketball game for Nebraska. That is, <laughs> that was that was a weird time of Nebraska low athletics. Point, low point in Nebraska. It was him and what was it Bedrill? Yeah, um, it was yeah. a quarterback. It was, yeah, yeah, it was the yeah. big. It was like the Big Ten tournament or something that was like the day before covid too that was that was just a weird time in nebraska athletics period (coughs) it was um also wide receiver Kamonte grimes is in the portal i mean three-star guy never played never got on the field so some of these guys make sense it's just how you know college football works um and then the last one is i guess he was the number one recruit in the the latest class that would have been 22 uh that we had in the class and that's Jaden gold he was a defensive back from New Jersey. Um, don't think he really played last this past year either. But, it, I mean, dude, we had like two – we had so much coaching changes. I get players leaving, and, you know, more guys are going to leave. I think some people are just waiting for the spring to play out and see where they are on the depth chart, and then they'll probably figure it out. But uh, that will be something we continue to follow. Okay, we got to get to the, the biggest news, though, of this, of this past um, – week in college football in my opinion biggest news and that's Deion Sanders to Colorado um what are what are some of our major uh, thoughts what do we think is going to happen with all of that I mean they're not a good football team like they are really not a good football team so if, if Sanders wants to make a splash in the coaching world that's the spot and it's gonna take him a little bit man if Nebraska lose that game this fall I know we'll get to it but man that would be like, that is not a good football team. And you can't fix that in one year. Yeah, I think it's almost like they're going to be – okay, this is the the funniest thing to me. You guys had to see the video. He goes in, like, the first day he's in Boulder. Well, that he meets with the team, at least. He meets with the team. And he has this whole – Dion has this whole, like, media entourage that just follows him, records him. Posts it on YouTube, everything. Literally tells the team, I'm bringing my own luggage with me, and it's Louie. So some of y'all better hit the portal. But I thought it was kind of douchey to say that, but I actually think it's completely like, they were 1-11. I think it's totally fine to say that. I get it, but like it was just a weird way to come at it. Like he, I mean, he could bring as many kids over as he wants. It's just, I don't know if even bringing the entire Jackson State team is going to win a whole lot of games against, I mean, the Pac-12 is not the most intense conference of all time, but there's still, you know, Oregon, Utah, USC, Washington. I don't think I'm forgetting anybody. Oregon State was decent this year. UCLA? Yeah, Uh, UCLA. It was the most competitive conference this year. The top was really competitive. I'd say the Big 12 was more competitive, but But it doesn't have the depth. Pac-12 had depth. Pac-12 had six good teams. I think the Big, Tw- Big 12 had just as many. Well, no. actually... K-State is not as good as, I will as say that, three or four Pac-12 teams. That's true. I'd say the top of the Pac-12 is probably the most competitive of the... Yeah, that, I'd agree with that. 
I, I'd say the Big 12 as a whole, like you could lose to anybody in that conference. Yeah. If you have a bad game. The Pac-12, if you have a bad game against Colorado, you're going to win by 20. Yeah, that's fair. That's, <laughs> so, that's fair. So, yeah, yeah, no, you're right. The Pac-12, top of the Pac-12 was pretty tough this year. Um, shoot. I think, okay, I really like Dion. I even wanted him to come to Nebraska. But to see, I don't know, just the way he goes in there, and it was funny, but just went in there and kind of just disrespected a room of like 100 young adults. I just was like, wow, that took a lot. Well, did you see he, uh, in his press conference, he pointed at his son, Shadur, and he's like, that's your quarterback. He eventually, he explained it, and he was like, he's going to have to work for it. But just the fact that he kind of stood him up and was like, that's your quarterback, that also kind of struck me as just weird, almost. Yeah, he's almost like a, I don't even know. I never played AAU basketball, but he's like an AAU basketball coach who's now, like, trying to just recruit, like, a whole team this year. It's kind of cringe. I think it goes one of two ways. Like, he either gets that big leap or it goes, like, all kinds of PR nightmares, like, players fighting, all sorts of garbage, and just gets out of there quick. I uh, That's what I was eventually going to say is that it's easy. They're going to be, like, really good, and this team's going to be, like, really fun. Or he's going to be, like, 2-10, dumpster fire, and they're going to fire him. There's no in between. They're not going to go seven and five. Yeah, consistently. They're just not. They're either going to be really good or really bad. Because they're they're going to have probably the talent. They're probably going to have the talent. You know, the, the, Travis Hunter. I'm guessing is going to end up in Boulder. I mean, you're going to get five stars. You're going to get four stars. It's just how Deion Sanders recruits and how his media personality is. But it's just can he win with those guys? He can win in the swag. Now, can he win at a power five team, a power five conference? I guess that is. Yeah, and then that, and Colorado hasn't been good in 20 years, so it's like he's really just, it's a full rebuild on top of, you know, what you said. I will say it would be fun for college football and for Colorado itself because they used to be good back in the day. But it would be good for the sport if Dion were to do well there. I think it would be fun. And as much as like they're Nebraska's rival, and I like to see them lose, it would be it still would be fun. Yeah, I'm just like you. I'm just kind of torn. Like I, I would really like to see them do well, but like anywhere but like Colorado. Like he could have went to Cincinnati or something, but it had to be Colorado, man. Yeah. So Peyton talked about this earlier. Nebraska plays at Colorado week two this uh, in 2023. So that's Dion's first home game. And Colorado's athletic director had a whole press conference. And, like, the first thing he said when he mentioned hiring Dion, one of the first things he said was, don't sell your tickets to Nebraska fans for our first home game. I don't want to see any red in the crowd. And then he also said, we know who you are if you sell your tickets. No, you don't know who they are. So, Also, what does he think they're going to do if he finds out who they are? Like, it- don't do that. Oh, well, sorry. I didn't want to go to the game. Well, they need fans for the other 11 games. Well, I guess it's only home games. The other six home games that they'll play every year, they're, they're not going to go after season ticket holders for, like, the 10,000 people that do actually show up for most of the home games. No, that's just a challenge to Nebraska fans. There's going to be a lot of red in the stands. Yeah, I was actually there the last time they played there, and it was, like, 60% red, I'd say. Um, there was a whole side. The whole Nebraska side was just red. It was just like a neutral site game is what it became. 
Um, unfortunately, we had probably the most. That was like the biggest letdown game I've ever been to. We had a we had a seventeen zero lead, and then we just cho- like just slowly like lost it. That was really sad. We're not gonna talk about that. But we ha- like we have to win that game though. Oh yeah. Uh, because if we don't, I'll be big sad. So. <laughs> Yeah, but okay, we're going to jump. We'll get back to more college football here in a little bit, but I want to jump to the World Cup because that's what uh, that I mean Peyton even talked about this uh, earlier this year. We we're like, yeah, when the World Cup's going on, we got we got to have you on the podcast. So, um, did you watch the Morocco game yesterday? I did. I did. I was actually pulling for Spain a little bit cuz I, I really enjoy the way that Spain plays, but unfortunately, no longer. But yeah, you got me on the podcast right in time for like the best part of the World Cup. This is where it really heats up. Yeah. So it's the quarterfinals now? It is the quarterfinals yes. now. Yeah. So, yeah. Um, but yeah, it looked like, I watched the highlights, it looked like Morocco and Spain both had a lot of goal chances. It just was like, it came down to penalty shootouts. Did you see, so I saw that Mor- the Morocco goalkeeper, what he was doing towards the end of the game, is that like... He was, like, faking back and forth before each kick. Is that normal? On the penalty kicks? Yeah. Yeah, So every goalkeeper has their own style. So it's all about, like, the head games, right? You're trying to uh, essentially have the attacker tip which way they're going to go and just sort of tip their hand. And they normally never do, but by being a goalkeeper, just by being active and trying to sort of get in their head, it's like... um, If somebody's at the line shooting a free throw, all the fans in the background that are just, like making all sorts of freaking noise like that's what he's doing he's just trying to make all sorts of noise to just throw the attacker off just a, a slight bit or make him question which way the goalkeeper is doing if the goalkeeper like fakes a lunge one way the attacker may like decide to go the other way right last second which can obviously alter the pen so most attackers will tell you that before they even step up to the ball they know which side they're going and they won't change so like if you if you select me for a penalty like i walk all the way from halfway toward the penalty spot, pick up the ball. The entire time I'm walking, I know exactly where I'm going to put the ball. And mm-hmm. then most attackers won't think of anything else. And then they put the ball down. Then you pick your spot. One thing about that, do you see the Moroccan goalkeeper? I think it was Spain's second or third penalty. You could see it on TV. He was like, he was talking Spanish to the dude mm-hmm. taking the penalty. He's like, I think he said something like, I know which way you're going. And it was in Spanish. It wasn't, I don't know what language they speak in Morocco, but like, he Arabic. was like, I'm, yeah, he's like, I'm going, I know which way you're going. You're, I'm going to save this. And then he obviously did. They didn't score a penalty, but it was just, it was just really cool to watch. Yeah. It was a crazy good penalty performance from him. Crazy good. I mean, the actual game was not very good. Of the, of all of the round of 16 games, that was the worst round of 16. Games. It was a sloppy game, which is what Morago probably had to do. Right. Being that they're an average, at the world stage, an average team playing one of the top 10 teams. If I don't know where Spain's exactly ranked. But yeah, probably. That's probably top right. Top 10. Yeah. So that was a fun game. What were the other great games from the round of 16? Uh, the Brazil-Korea game was really good. Uh, it ended up being 4-1 for the first half. Brazil went up 4-0, mm-hmm. and it was probably the best 45 minutes a team may have ever played at a World Cup. Just the sheer dominance and the amount of passes. Brazil plays a very distinct style called tiki-taka, and there's pretty much nobody else in the world that can play it because in order to play it, you need all 11 players on the pitch, including your goalkeeper, to have incredible technical skill at their feet because it's all just one or two touch passing. So somebody gets the ball, it's one or two very quick, just deceptive touches to move a defender around, 
then you pass it to the next guy. And almost all of these passes, they range between 5 feet and 20 feet, which is a very short pass on a huge pitch, right? When other teams may be looking for that long ball over the top, Brazil will make, I don't know, 15, 20 passes before they start to just dissect you and break you down. And that can come back to haunt them if, if not everybody's on their game. It creates turnovers. It creates counterattacks. Now Brazil's a very, very good team, so this very rarely happens to them. But if most teams try to play this style, they're going to create turnovers, and then you create sort of precarious situations on the other end. But in that first half, I'm not sure Brazil turned the ball over more than twice, and they just broke Korea down with incredible passing over and over and over. And the goals are just like insane on the highlights because you just you literally see the ball like pinballing around That's sweet. all the way around the pitch, and then boom, they're in the box. One more pass, and it's tucked in. I just learned so much right there. That was sweet. I need to watch the highlights. Well, I don't know. I haven't watched enough, but it sounds like that style of play would basically be like having 10, 11 Neymars on the field. It is. Yeah. And they're no, just super exactly quick guys who are just bouncing the ball around. Yeah. And they're just going to kill you with quickness. Because if you have, if everybody on your team is like 6'3 and you're the Netherlands, you can't really do that. Yeah. Yeah, the Dutch play more direct. They'll allow you to play your play their game because they're they're so tall. And they had a good group stage performance. We'll talk about the US in a minute, uh, I would assume. The yeah. other like standout performance in the round of 16 was for Portugal. They beat Switzerland 6-1. Ronaldo was benched for the round of 16 game. There've been all sorts of rumors about him moving clubs. He's gotten into he's become uh, sort of a, a massive diva. I am trying to I'm trying to compare it to like an NBA player or an NFL player, but I'm I mean I Kyrie, know. maybe. I, I was just gonna say Kyrie. <laughs> yeah. Maybe like, maybe like a less like media personality Antonio Brown, like an on the like. Yeah, but Antonio Brown has some like actual yeah. mental issues going yes, on. Yes, I don't yes, think, yes, absolutely, absolutely. I, no, I don't do, think you, I don't think Cristiano Ronaldo has like actual no, mental no, issues not going on. mental. I meant like just yeah. kind of like a scaled down version, almost like kind of what rumored OBJ was last season. Kind of like just okay. kind of like a locker room presence. I didn't mean like oh, like the whole like yeah, mental yeah. issue of yeah. Antonio Brown, but like it's almost like he like his teammates almost. It almost feels like. Ronaldo's teammates, at least f- from what I've seen, I've known, I barely know anything about soccer. I know barely more than him, probably. But it just felt like they almost kind of just disengaged from him. I think that's a good way to put it. Regardless, all of this is going on and swirling as Ronaldo's entering the, the World Cup, right? And he and Manchester United, his current club, they severed their contract mid World Cup. They just said, you're done. Like, you're not playing for us anymore. There was all sorts of infighting going on. So Ronaldo's sort of playing this World Cup and do- like he does not have a club. And so he started the first three games. He got subbed off in a couple of them. He didn't play incredibly, picked up one goal. But then you enter the quarterfinal game against Switzerland. And this was supposed to be sort of an even game on paper. And the guy who started for him, I had actually not heard of him. His name was uh, was um, uh, Silva. Um, or no, it was Ramos. Gonzalo Ramos. And Gonzalo Ramos, it, he plays in the Portuguese division. He's young sort of up-and-coming hot prospect he scored a hat trick he scored three goals in place of Ronaldo and so everybody's questioning about in Portugal's next match whether he's going to start or whether Ronaldo's going to start and they're both the uh like they're both the attacking forward right yes yeah so and in my FIFA brain ST is that what it is striker (laughs) yes yes that's (laughs) oh my gosh um you may you may have been uh, ready to say something but I will say this real quick I did notice uh, in the few games I have watched, I did watch one with Portugal, and it looked like there was a moment where a player on Portugal scored a goal, and I saw the whole team like celebrating, and then showed Ronaldo, and he's just like, it looked like I've seen this before from him, but he's like, yeah, <laughs> could have been me, yeah, it just like 
He just seems like a lot, and I think, you know, he is, is he the most popular, maybe not right now, but wasn't he, like, the most popular athlete on the planet through, like, the 2010s? Yeah. Yeah. I bet. So that, that I mean, there's no way that doesn't get to your head. That's just not, you know? So, uh, well, yeah, that'll be interesting to watch if he plays next game, because well, how old is that guy who had the hat trick? Like, probably in his... 21? He's 21? He's, he's, uh, I don't know if he's 21. I know he's, 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 like, low 20s. So he's our age. Okay, that's sweet. I'll have to watch those. I need to watch all these highlights. Um, if you want to talk about, do you want to talk about any other games right now, or do you want to jump into the U.S.? We can jump into the U.S. and then I want to make a little like some predictions for you. Tell you what's going to oh. happen because we got eight teams left. Let's go. Let's go. We yeah. got we got some some clarity. I think. Okay, so USA uh, did not lose a game right until no. the playoffs. So. Um, it was a big celebration when they did make it because, you know, that's huge. Being a, We missed the last World Cup, right? So they made it to uh, the – was it the round of 32 at that point? The round of 16. Or the, it was the round of 16. My bad. So they made it the round of 16, played Netherlands. All right, what's, so what went down in that game? So first off, how we sort of got to the Netherlands game. Um, it was a draw against Wales. It, the U.S. looked great for 45 minutes, and everybody said, this is a new re-energized team for the World Cup that could actually kind of make a splash. Everybody's still waiting for this young generation to mature, and that'll be the 2026 World Cup. And I think a lot of U.S. fans still have super, super high expectations for that, as they should right now. We'll see what happens in four years. You draw against Wales, didn't play a good second half. You go into the England game and you say, all right, well, this is going to be the teller of whether the U.S. can actually keep up with some of the best teams in the world. England didn't play super great. They're a little flat. The U.S. took care of everything they did needed to do defensively but they played a little conservative. The U.S., with a win, could have essentially wrapped up qualification, wrapped up the group, and been able to play it on that third match day with a little less uh, stress. It finished nothing-nothing against England. Probably the best U.S. performance that I've seen in a while, but very cautious, putting a lot of men behind the ball. They didn't want to lose that game, and I think that was more of a culture thing. Is the U.S. didn't want to have to lose to England and deal with that backlash. It also would have created a really tough situation on the third day. Didn't happen. They got a draw. So draw, draw. You go into the third game. Well, the way it worked out is that Iran had beat Wales in their game, and England had beat the other two teams. Well, they're sorry. They had beat the, the um, they beat Iran on the and first day. And they beat Wales. Uh, they beat Wales on the final day. And I think going into that third game, those two games happened at the same time, oh, U.S.-Iran yeah. and Wales-England. Everybody was assuming that England would take care of Wales. Given that situation, the U.S. needed a win to advance. A draw would not have gotten it done. Yeah, here, just to add something to that, I was doing these, like, scenarios for, like, like for the first three groups just because I was bored, and it was, like, all these different scenarios for, like, goal differential, everything, and for the U.S., it was win, advance, draw, eliminated, loss, eliminated. Back to what you were saying, I was just saying, like, it was so simple that third yeah. day. It was just win. Yeah, they knew exactly what they had to do, and goal difference really didn't matter. Um, they got their goal. It was a super scrappy game. But the U.S. essentially did what they had to do to get through. And so if you were to talk about, even, like, take away the Netherlands game, did the U.S., like, exceed expectations? Maybe not. I don't think anybody really thought this team was incredible. Everybody hates the head coach, which is just a a conversation for a different day. But everybody felt like this U.S. team was talented enough to get through that group. And I feel like in that sense, they met expectations. So by going through as the second team in Group B, they're matched up against the group winners of Group A. And Group A was the weakest group at the World Cup. It was Netherlands, Qatar, uh, Ecuador, and Senegal. So Netherlands and Senegal went through. 
you get paired up with Netherlands, and I think the sentiment before was, well, look, every team you play in the knockout is going to be a difficult, talented team, but the U.S. could certainly have it a lot worse. The Netherlands, like I was saying earlier, they allow you to play their style. They sit back a lot, and they're going to let their opponents pass, but they're not going to let them get into any dangerous positions in the final third, at least very often. They're going to let you pass, let you pass, let you pass, soak up that pressure, and then when they get the ball, they're going to distribute it out wide and work up the flanks with one or two big passes, and then they'll distribute in back towards the box. In this case against the U.S., it was always towards the back post, and then they'll finish. So if you look at the game against the U.S., and I, I went back and watched the highlights a couple times because I wanted to figure out exactly how the goals happened. The U.S.'s goal was a little bit fluky, and it happened. It was sort of a consolation. For the majority of the match, at least the first part of the match, the U.S. had more chances. They were in the final third. They were playing productive, but they looked a little bit sluggish and a little bit slow to get to the final product. The Netherlands did not have to try, essentially, on the final day. They had already clinched up their, their advance to the round of 16 meaning they didn't have to play as hard as the U.S. did. And in the World Cup, you play every four days, and playing soccer every four days is brutal. You get to about that third or fourth game, and you start to feel the fatigue. So in the 10th minute, one of the U.S.'s best players, the workhorse in the middle of the field, essentially just lost his marker, didn't run with him in transition getting back. And it was almost like a fast break, where the Netherlands had numbers, they got it to the right guy at the top of the box, finished it. And it felt like some heads definitely dropped. That was about the 10th minute. After that, the last 80 minutes, the Netherlands said, we're going to attack the U.S. out wide because when a team is tired, defensively, they're going to congregate towards the, the immediate threats, which is obviously what you do, right? So if the ball's on the right side, everybody on that back line is going to shift to the right. The midfield is going to drop down to the right to try to deal with that cross that's coming in. Well, when your players are a little bit lethargic and you don't have the, the same legs that you did on day one, if that late runner on the left side comes back in to the box on the far side, nobody follows them, somebody's standing around, that person's going to be wide open. And the Netherlands' last two goals happened exactly like that. It was first the right back, Serginho Dest, who let his guy walk right by him for the second goal, was just pure laziness on the right side from the U.S. Third goal, same thing on the left side. The left back, Anthony Robinson, was sucked in too far on somebody in the middle of the box, just didn't look behind him for like 10 seconds. The late runner came in. And so I think what's really frustrating about this loss for U.S. fans is uh, American fans have been saying for the last few months that Berhalter, the head coach, was going to get outcoached by a really good team and that he wouldn't have the tactics to be able to do it. He had the talent, but he didn't have the tactics. So this loss and this combination, or this loss was a combination of, one, the U.S. being tired, and two, Berhalter not not really adjusting to what the Netherlands had thrown at him. In the post-game press conferences, it became incredibly clear because Greg Berhalter came out and said, well, we were on top of the Netherlands before they scored their goal, and we were the better team, and we were getting chances, which is essentially true. That's what the U.S. were for the early part of that game. The problem is the Netherlands were absolutely okay with that because that's what they wanted to do. They wanted to let the U.S. tire themselves out because going on relentless attacks and pushing players forward, then you have to transition all the way back. It's incredibly tiring for 90 minutes. And so the, some of the best teams in the world, they're used to sitting back and giving up sort of those chances because they can just conserve that energy and just outplay teams in the second half of games where they just take over because the other team cannot run with them. You know, you can't sub everybody out in soccer. You get only five. It used to be three. Now you only get five. And in the post-game press conference, the Netherlands said, yeah, we, we were just fine with how they, the game played out exactly how we wanted to. We knew the U.S. was going to come in a little bit tired. So what did we do? We wanted to attack the wide spaces, make them spread out, make them run more, right? If a team can play more compact forward down the middle, 
you don't have to use the outside 20% of the pitch on either side, you don't get as tired. And the, the Netherlands absolutely played that to their advantage. They said, we want to get the ball wide and then cross it all the way to the other side towards that back post where we think we're going to have the space. They had the space twice, and that's what buried the U.S. The amount of soccer, football knowledge I've gained in the past 30 minutes is more than I thought I'd have. But, yeah, no, that makes a lot of sense. Um, <coughs> excuse me. Uh, yeah, no, that, that makes a lot of sense. They pretty much just said, well, they didn't have to try in their third game because they knew they already made it, so they kind of just conserved energy. And I know Netherlands, uh, this is a random fact, but they are one of the tallest countries. They are the tallest. The, the, average, uh, I think the, the average male height is up near 6'2", and the average female height is up above 5'10". Yeah, so they're just, yeah, they just pretty much out-strategized America there. Wow. Um, so, okay. Well, that's the U.S. for you in soccer. World Cup is going to be here, though, and, of course, Mexico, Canada as well a little bit, but in 2026. So that's something to look forward to. Far, far future. Maybe Nebraska will be a lot better at football then, too. Uh, one, could, one could only hope. One can hope. But, okay, so now we're at the round of eight. So there's eight teams left in World Cup. Who do you think is going to win, and who are you rooting for? Okay, so the first quarterfinal game is Netherlands-Argentina, then Croatia-Brazil, England-France, and Morocco-Portugal. Um, I don't know if I have a rooting interest uh, remaining in the tournament. I would have loved to see Spain win it. Um, I really enjoyed the way that they played. Uh, they sort of played a Brazil light kind of style. Um, I will always root for underdogs, and the only real underdog remaining in the tournament is Morocco. Some people will claim Croatia, um, but they still are a European team. They made the World Cup final last time. Um, so if we had to go for rooting interest, I would love to see an underdog win it. And, and for that reason, I would pick Morocco. Um, but I, I, don't, I think that the Cinderella run may, may come to an end. So we'll start with Netherlands-Argentina. That's the first game. Uh, or it's actually a second game, but it's the top of the bracket. Um, that is one of the, the most contested games. Argentina is probably a slight favorite. Um, it's Messi's last World Cup. Uh, and Argentina are technical enough to work through the Netherlands in the way that the U.S., probably did but this could be a close game this could go either way i think if the netherlands get one or two sort of moments of magic they could absolutely take down argentina um then moving down uh, down to croatia brazil i think brazil will mop up croatia brazil the most talented team on the planet um and they'll they'll be able to play that style croatia can play a frustrating style but i think that the talent of brazil is something that croatia hasn't seen yet croatia advanced on penalties in the last round over japan who is another technical team but japan didn't have the same punch that that brazil will have uh, England-France is going to be a huge one. If you're going to watch one game for the rest of the World Cup other than the final, you watch England-France. Um, rivalry. Yes, you have the rivalry. Uh, English fans have been waiting for this big of a game for really like 12 years. Um, they got to the third place game of the World Cup four years ago. Um, England is is one of the most overhyped teams each and every cycle because they're England and because England fans dominate the the cultural conversation around soccer at least in the English language and it's going to be a huge test about whether all these new English players because England is a pretty young team as well kind of like the United States there's a huge question of whether these players are actually talented at an, at an elite level or whether they're at a very good level because France is at an elite level it won the World Cup four years ago you have arguably the best player in the world right now in Kylian Mbappe you have a team around him that is just as deep as anybody in the world um is England at that level, or are they a step below that level? I think they're a step below that level. A lot of people think they're at that level. France is a slight favorite, but if you're going to watch one game, that will be a, a physical, hotly contested game. And if England wins, that will flip all sorts of narratives about what this generation means for the English national team. And they have a very good path to reaching the final and potentially winning the World Cup if they beat France. 
Sweet. So that'll be a really good game. To I watch. need to watch that game because didn't France win it last time? Yep, they won it in 2018, and yeah. they returned a lot of players from that team. That, that the team that won it in 2018 was easily the most talented in the world at that time. Their team in 2022 just as good. Dang. Then the last game of the quarterfinals, Morocco versus Portugal. Um, Morocco's a, a heavy underdog. I don't think they do it again. It, it seemed a little bit fluky that Spain missed all of those chances and all, sort of allowed Morocco to to get in. Um, but it was a good run. So I'm, I'm, I'm intrigued to see if they can keep it up because they, they do have some top-tier talent. They just I don't think Morocco has the same amount of depth that the teams remaining in the tournament do. They have that top-tier talent. You play four or five games every four days, and those guys are going to get tired. Portugal's been doing that squad rotation. I think you're going to see similar something similar to what happened in Netherlands, USA, where Portugal essentially outrun Morocco over the course of the 90 minutes. So then you advance, you go Argentina, Brazil on one side, which, by the way, biggest rivalry in the world. Incredible, incredible semifinal. And then on the other side, you got France, Portugal. Um, I think Brazil's more talented uh, and deeper than Argentina. I have them advancing to the final. Then I have France beating Portugal. Again, just deeper, more talented. they're, They're sort of fashionable picks coming from both sides, France and Brazil. But I really believe that in terms of the depth of just number one to number 23 on the roster are just deeper than everybody else in the tournament. In Portugal, you have... Portugal and, and Argentina, you have great players. You have, obviously, Messi and Ronaldo on, on each side, but you don't have 11 guys that are all playing, that are all really in the top 50 in players of the world. Um, so that would put, obviously, in the third-place game, Portugal and Argentina, which would be hilarious. Messi and Ronaldo would face off in a World Cup in essentially a meaningless game. And then <laughs> in the final, you would have Brazil-France, and that would be a really tough game to pick. I would pick Brazil. I think just the way that they play is so appealing that and it's a, a style that and their efficiency with it is just something that the world hasn't seen for a really long time and their flair I, I think that it's going to be really tough to beat but in, in that final it, essentially a toss-up if it, it gets to the point where it's brazil versus france essentially a toss-up it's gonna be a really good game dang and then the finals like is it like december 20th or something it's the 18th 18th okay because yep. that's right after i mean me and you graduate the day before it's the 17th yep and so I'll pro- I'll be around to watch okay. that game. All right, we'll watch it. <laughs> Captain Jacks, is that where? I uh, yeah, that's well, that's where all the U.S. games are. Oh. They'll, they'll have other World Cup games on, but uh, the atmosphere was was special for the U.S. Dang. So I was at Beer House for the U.S.A. Uh, crap, I forgot Iran game. Yeah, yeah. But uh, are you gonna? Who's your favorite right now, Landon? My favorite, oh, definitely. favorite team. Oh, my favorite team's definitely Morocco. That's yeah. not, yeah. But if I had to go away from that, um, I mean, I'd like to see Messi get a World Cup because it's, obviously it's his last one. But mm-hmm. I'd also like to see, I'd also like to see France just because I like them watching Killian play. I mean, he's. My guess is he's gonna win the Golden Boot. Yes, I was in the lead now. Yeah, I wouldn't think that unless something drastic happens but he's just played out of his mind this world cup it's just he's he's just so fun he's so fast it's just so fun to watch yeah mbappe is 23 or 24 and he has as many world cup goals as messi and i think he has more than ronaldo yeah that i think that's right Mm -hmm. that's wild he has nine all right well peyton's gotta go to class so but me and landon are still here we're gonna talk some college football to end uh the show today but okay, so as I was on my bathroom break, as uh, <laughs> as Peyton was going to class, I you know looked at Twitter as one does, and it looks like uh, Jeff Brom is flirting with Louisville right now, and that's his alma mater as well. 
Um, but looks like he's about to he's closing in on a potential five six year deal as their new head coach. Um, you know, Brom has been at Purdue for the I think the past like five years. I think it's five or six. I can't remember I think it's since twenty seventeen or twenty eighteen. I can't remember which. Uh, but either way, looks like I think it's since twenty seventeen. But anyway, it looks like Jeff Brom is potentially leaving Purdue to head to Louisville. And I think, personally, this is a really good move for him because Purdue's kind of peaked in the they Big Ten. They definitely peaked. Because their style on offense isn't a whole lot of running. It's a lot of passing. But that's tough to do in the Big Ten, especially late in the season when you're playing in cold weather against like Wisconsin, which they got beat pretty bad by them this year. So um, are you surprised by this? And you know, what are your thoughts? Is this a good move for him? Yeah, I mean, I looking at that Louisville job when Satterfield left to Cincinnati, I didn't really consider Jeff Brom. I mean, it was kind of thrown around. I saw it on, just literally just on Twitter, but kind of looking at it now, I think it's like you said a really good deal for him, and that kind of opens it opens up another job in the I mean, Big Ten, but also the Big Ten West. So being kind of Nebraska football fans, that's kind of just a something, a little situation we might have to check in on every once in a while. Purdue's been tough, especially for Nebraska over the past. Was it been five years? I mean, we beat them in 2020, but there were no fans in the stands. But besides that, we have lost uh, four of the last five to Purdue, right? Yes. I know Mike I... Riley got a win over Purdue in his last year. That was like a miracle win for that team. But uh, yeah, no, we've lost to Purdue quite a bit lately. Um, they've done well, but it looks like they're probably going to have to reload at head coach. And that's going to be a whole transition for them. Um, just because that, I mean, they were in the Big Ten championship game. The Big Ten West was a mess, so it's not like a big thing for them to make it. I mean, shoot, Iowa almost made it, not for <laughs> Nebraska. But that's something to keep an eye on. Uh, we're probably some of the first people to see that uh, as news. Not 100% guaranteed, but from, I mean, it was a verified account that reported it. So that's just looking it up. There's been a couple sites that have kind of broke that they're closing in on a deal, which usually means they're going to. Yeah, and Purdue's know. in a bowl game, too, so they're going to have to, like, who do they play in their bowl game? Because I know uh, Louisville's old coach is sharing a sideline with Louisville now. Or well, it's Lu- well Louisville and Cincinnati are at the Fenway Bowl. I don't know. I don't think he's coaching, but they're sharing a sideline now. And they're rivals. They used to yeah. be rivals in yeah. the Big East. Uh, they play LSU in the Cheez It Bowl, Cheez It Citrus Bowl. <laughs> Sorry, there's the Cheez It Bowl and the Cheez It Citrus Bowl. So that's the bowl game for Purdue. Yes. Oh, the LSU's probably gonna beat them. I feel like. LSU's yeah. Interesting. I, I mean, we can. I was gonna wait to get into bowls. Wait, later. no. Okay, it it is one bowl. The Cheez It Bowl and the Cheez It Citrus Bowl are one one bowl. I was very confused on that for for a quick second. Bowl season doesn't start till I believe the sixteenth or seventeenth of December. So that's something to I'm excited about, but it's kind of in the distance a little bit. Um, looking forward to it just because college football is my favorite sport. But so that's some big news. Also, I guess another coaching news out there, especially that's relevant to the Big Ten, Jim Leonard's leaving Wisconsin after this year. Hopefully coming here. I know. I would love it. I mean, it's all Twitter talk, but. Yeah, it would kind of be, I mean, the thing is, he played his entire college career at Wisconsin, goes to the NFL, comes back to Wisconsin, um, I think in like 20, I can't remember what year, 20. 10, 11, 12, something like that, as a coach. And then he's been an assistant there for a while, and then, you know, becomes interim. So he's pretty much spent all of his college playing years and coaching years at Wisconsin, and they end up picking a different head coach uh, with, of course, Luke Fickle. So it kind of makes sense. It would be a big, like, 
I just think it would be a statement if he were to come here as defensive coordinator. Yeah, I also thought it was a big surprise that he wasn't kept on Wisconsin staff. I mean, obviously Fickle is going to be the head coach, but just even as a DC or even something, if Fickle wanted to bring his guys over, something lower, it just kind of felt like, uh, excuse me, Leonard and Wisconsin were just kind of tied. So like you said, kind of coming over to another Big Ten West team would just kind of be almost like a kind of just in-your-face kind of move, I guess, especially if he can come here or wherever he ends up and, like, beat Wisconsin. I mean, here would be the best chance he'd have. I don't know where else he'd be looked at. I have no idea. It's almost like I'm, I'm pretty confident they wanted him to be D.C. next year. I but I think this is his decision. Yeah, I mean, did you see his Twitter post? It was kind of just like a thank you. I almost had it. I, I kind of interpreted it. I should probably pull it up and read it again, but I almost interpreted it as like a I wanted to stay, but they didn't want me to. Let's look. I don't know. I just kind of half, half read it, to be honest with you. And to be fair to Luke Fickle, it is almost like if you keep Leonard at de- as defensive coordinator, um, you know, you're going to have a part of the team that's more loyal to him than is to you. And so yeah. it's like that could have been an issue going forward. So it may be best for Fickle and also just Leonard himself to – uh, you know, go separate ways. Yeah, because it says, it, it, he basically, uh, direct quote, it has meant the world to me to be able to pour my heart and soul into the UW football program over the last seven years. And then he says, after discussion with my family and Coach Fickle, I will remain as the DC through the bowl game, but no longer be a part of the staff after the conclusion of the 2022 season. And then he kind of thanks, you know, everybody that helped him along the way and then on Wisconsin. But I don't know he was he was college teammates with Donovan Riola uh, at Wisconsin, so that's kind of where I think that's kind of where that spark of him coming to Nebraska, along with the whole him being a candidate in the head coaching search, kind of kind of came from, I guess. The whole assistant coach thing is not wrapped up for Matt Rule, oh, and no. he's also trying to recruit not only freshmen but also the transfer portal. So he's a busy guy. He's been. I know they've been all over trying to reach out to all the commits that are current, right? Yes. To make sure they're still locked Absolutely. in. Absolutely. I know that they dropped a f- two or three guys and said, hey, we're going to go, like, we're going to try to find someone else. Yeah. One of those was the quarterback that we had picked up, which was Watson. Yep. Yep. So, Pop Watson. Yep. Yeah. So we, we're not going to end up having him. I think we told him, hey, we're going to go a different direction. Um, I know some people think we, we might have a chance at, I think his name's Dylan Riola. The, yeah. The number one recruit in 2024. Or quarterback recruit, I think. Yeah, but, uh, I mean, Ohio State is just so much better. Oh, yeah. No, I I don't expect it. I mean, kind of being in that mix is fun for a guy, of, uh, even a, a five-star at all, let alone the number one quarterback. Just kind of being in that mix is just fun to kind of sit around all social media platforms and just think, what if? But I think he's still going to end up at LSU, or excuse me, Ohio State. Yeah, I agree. I mean, if you go to Ohio State, you're going to put up insane numbers and you get drafted, like, first round. Yeah. That's what C.J. Stroud's going to do. That's what Justin Fields did. That's what Haskins did. You can just – J.T. Barrett. Um, yeah. Even Cardell Jones, I think. Yeah. Yeah. So, anyway. But we can talk about the games from last weekend. Wish we would have gotten to this sooner just because it is, you know, these were some really fun games. Uh, the, the TCU-Kansas State game was awesome. It was, it was one of the best games I've seen all season, to be honest with you. I was upset TCU didn't win because I do really like them. And I thought the the ball placement on the goal line 
from the referees was suspect, but also the play calling from TCU didn't really work out either. Yeah, when you're when it's a goal line situation and one yard to go and you're in shotgun, sometimes you just don't deserve to win the game. Kind of looked like I was watching Nebraska, and it kind of just sparked like PTSD almost. Just like, just grab the ball as a quarterback under center and just push forward. You're gonna get a yard in two plays. Yeah, so you're the ball's inside the one yard line, right? If you fall forward twice with the quarterback, there's just no way you don't get in. Do you listen to the – have you ever listened to the podcast with Jason and Travis Kelsey? I haven't. Uh, Jason Kelsey. I don't know if it's made – I'm pretty sure he made it up, but it's some made-up stat. Which he always refers to it when he's talking about quarterback sneaks. And it was, he was, uh, they had an episode with Jalen Hurts, and they kept saying 92% of the time a quarterback sneak gets at least one yard. So, like, if we're on first and goal from the two or three, they had a first and goal from the three, or it might have been a two where they QB sneaked it on first and goal, got a yard. QB sneaked it on second and goal, got to the one, and then QB sneaked it on third and goal and got in. Yeah. It's just some made-up stat that's 92%, but it almost seems like it's like accurate. It's like you barely ever get stopped for zero yards on a QB sneak. I mean, two times in a row, you're probably going to get a yard. Because the D-line would have to time it perfectly where they shoot the gap and get to you. Even then, you're going to fall forward. It's just, you know, if you're six feet tall and you fall forward with the ball – you're going to get at least three feet, I feel like. So, yeah, no. Um, it's just math. But it was a good game. I actually thought it was kind of fitting for Kansas State to win because there was a play where I don't know what – okay, this is the thing. I understand – remember the safety that Kansas State should have got? Yeah, yeah, I So do. Duggan's hand's going forward with the ball, which means it's like when the, you know, when the quarterback's arm is going forward with the ball in his hand, technically it's a forward pass at that point, yep, right? yep. Well, he never the ball never left his hand. And Kansas State batted it out of his hand and got it like I think then they ended up getting a safety. Yes. So I get like the rule of I get the rule of like balls going forward in quarterback's hand, quote unquote, it's a pass. Forward pass at that point. But if we're like if this is backyard football, that's a safety. Right? Oh yeah. Oh yeah. So that's it was kind of like, all right, this is fitting. Kansas State should have got a safety there, in my opinion. I understand rules are different, but that's what it probably should have been because it was a fumble. And so it was kind of fitting, like, okay, Kansas State gets the win here. Also, college football playoff committee gets it right because TCU is a top-four team. They put him oh, in the yeah. playoffs. So oh, yeah. I can't be mad. It was, to me, honestly, it was either was Ohio State going to be three and TCU four or the other way around. I didn't think there was really any other scenario. I didn't think – I mean, if Alabama would have got in, I would have thrown a – temper tantrum on twitter me too tennessee and everything i mean even usc just playing a whole game on championship saturday when they you know alabama sat at home and same thing with ohio state but it was really just tcu three and or tcu three ohio state four the other way around i mean i am cool with ohio state being in because they were a dominant team through the whole year minus the second half against Michigan. So it's almost like, okay, they do still get a chance at it, and they're going to play the number one team, Georgia. So we're going to find out whether or not they're anything legit. Yeah, nobody in the top ten – honestly, probably nobody in the country has a better uh, loss than Ohio State does. I yeah. Can't, I mean, you can – if Alabama didn't lose to LSU, you could say theirs against Tennessee, but – as a one-loss team, they have the best resume of a team that's not undefeated. They deserve to be in, especially because Michigan was – there was talks about them getting the number one seed just because of how dominant they were against Ohio State. But LSU – or I keep saying LSU instead of Ohio State, and I don't know why. 
but Ohio State definitely deserved to be in. Yeah, I agree. Uh, so SEC title game, Georgia beat LSU by 20. So, you know, they're obviously number one. Not a whole lot there. Um, Kansas State, because they won the Big 12, automatically get a New Year's Six Bowl. So they're playing Bama, which is going to be, you know, I love these. This is why I love the cross-conference games because they're so interesting. Like, Big 10, Big 12, there's not a lot of crossover. Oh, yeah. No, not at all. Unless it's maybe bowl season. They don't like to play each other that much, you know. So um, that's going to be fun to see, you know, playoff between TCU and Michigan. Two totally different teams. Oh, absolutely. Totally different. Completely different. different. And so that's going to be a a big battle. And then, you know, you get an SEC Big 12 game, Kansas State, Bama. Um, You know, Kansas State's going to be playing like it's the national championship. And Bama's like, ah, another game. Right? So it's going to be a battle of, like, talent versus, um, I guess, developed players. K-State's a bunch of three stars. Yep. And so that's, that's a fun one to watch. Adrian might be back for that one. I haven't heard anything to be honest with you. So Will Howard's on fire anyway. Oh yeah. So uh, that'll be. I'm excited for those games. Utah is. I almost wish that Utah would have had a better record because I do think if they're like clicking, they're one of the top five teams. Who did they, they you lose to? They lost to Florida beginning of the year. Yes, there's that. And then <clears throat> they took another tumble somewhere. I just can't remember. There, I think they lost. Three total games? They lost to BYU, and then they lost to San Diego State, and then they lost to Oregon State. Wait, no. What am I doing? I think that what you're looking you – I'm looking, looking at 2021. At yeah. So they, they lost to BYU, didn't they? Or they I, did last year. Okay, I'm, I'm just completely tr- – just ignore everything I just said. Yeah, they yeah, lost we'll, to UCLA, we'll UCLA and Oregon. So they lost to Florida to start the year, and that was just Florida being you know a home team in week one. Yeah. They lost to UCLA by 10, and Utah just had a bad game. That week, and then they lost to Oregon by three in the f- second to last regular season game. I remember that was just a turnover fest between yep. both teams. So they were really close to having a 10 win season. I mean, they got that 10th win over USC, who they actually beat twice now. So USC, I know Caleb Williams is playing hurt that whole game. Yeah, I mean, USC, they, they played well enough to be in the playoff i think their only loss came to U- utah who like you said was probably a top five team this year other than a couple of slip-ups but it just didn't work out in their favor the way ohio state got to sit on their hands and just watch like if one of michigan if michigan and if the big 10 didn't have divisions and michigan and ohio state played again in the big 10 championship usc has a case of being in if one of those teams lose it's just that michigan won and ohio state sat on their hands and just waited yeah. for one of the, for somebody to slip up and it just happened to be usc and it's kind of like a recency bias too, but you I mean you lose to a nine and three team by, you know what was it twenty three points, and that's just gonna, it's going to knock you out yeah. of the playoff. Oh yeah. Um, so now Utah's moving on to play Penn State in the Rose Bowl. I mean Penn State's only two losses are to you know top four teams, Michigan, Ohio State, and so fun to see Utah back in the Rose Bowl. They almost won it last year against Ohio State, and then the big loser in all of this, in my opinion, is Washington because the Pac twelve over the summer changed their rules to where it was no longer divisions in the oh, Pac-12. Yeah. It's yep. top two teams. So Washington, 10-2, and two, would have got into the Pac-12 title game if not for that rule change. And then, it, you know, they don't get a chance to play for it. Instead, Utah does. And then because of that, uh, Washington is left out. And let me add this real quick. I forgot to say this. 
because Kansas State won the Big 12 title, they get a New Year's, New Year's Six Bowl slot, and Washington doesn't as a 10-2 and two team. So that's interesting. Um, they'll instead play Texas in the Alamo Bowl. The reason I brought that up is because Peyton was really upset yep. about it. He's a Washington. Yeah. His second favorite team is the Washington Huskies, being that he's from Seattle. So didn't get to rub that in his face here because he had to go to class. But anyway, uh, Big Ten title game, that was Michigan-Purdue. I think we mentioned that earlier. Yeah, it just kind of uh, kind of went the way it was expected. Exactly. Go. So um, I guess another like, – the one transfer portal thing I'll mention is, you know, Clemson – they beat North Carolina by like 30 in the ACC title, and I think they, I think DJ Uinglele, he started for Clemson, and then they were off to a slow start, and so Cade uh, Klubnik came in and finished the game and had a great game. So now DJ is transferring. Yeah. DJ was benched like three different times this year. It feels like I never, I don't follow Clemson football incredibly, but it just me neither. I'm pretty sure he was benched. Oh, there was a couple games. I don't remember which ones, to be honest with you. Let's look. Well, it was like every time I watched Clemson, which was maybe four times this entire year, at some point in the game, DJ would get benched. Let's see. Game logged. Uh, Club Nick. Recent game. See all. Well, he, I mean, before this game, he only he only threw 20, let me do math here, 22 passes all year. He does run quite a bit, too. Yeah. He had six passes against Georgia Tech, four against Syracuse, two against Miami. I guess he didn't really get benched unless it was. I know they benched him against Syracuse somewhat, I think. Let's see. Rushing game log. I'm scrolling through ESPN. Uh, He had six rushes against Syracuse. So, yeah, he played a lot against Syracuse. He played a little bit against Miami, but they were up 40 to 10. Mm Mm-hmm. It just seemed like DJ never – I mean, he's following, you know – I'm talking about on-field production here. You know, he's following Trevor Lawrence before Trevor Lawrence was, you know, Deshaun Watson. And, you know, DJ is expected to be – you know, he's a five-star as well, expected to be the next big guy at Clemson. Never really panned out the way that, you know, Heisman finalist type QBs, Trevor Lawrence and Deshaun Watson did. And so it was kind of like he was always a disappointment, even though he was a good QB at times. And so he just had an up and down career, and so it looks like he's gonna. I mean, he's in the he's in the portal now, so he's gonna be going somewhere new. It's probably best for him just because the expectations were so high at Clemson, and they were you know a national title team for like five years. They didn't win it every yeah. year, but they were you know up there. So I'd like to see him end up, and I know it's been talked about a lot because he's from this area, but like a UCLA type fit, a Utah type fit, kind of out west where he can kind of just sling the ball and just. Kind of win games that way. I mean, I know the ACC is kind of a passing conference, but kind of those really West Coast teams I think would really benefit him. I, I want to see him succeed. I like I like watching DJ play. Yeah, I'd like to see that too. Um, maybe he would end up at Utah, but they always feel like – I feel like they always have good QBs, even if they're backups. Something Utah did, you, you may have not noticed this, but there was a four-star QB out of Dallas – and he ended up – he started his career at Texas, but he, he never, you know, really played QB there. Jaquindon Jackson, he's just, like, a really big and, like, athletic quarterback. And then he transfers to Utah and is still not playing quarterback because um, – why is his name slipping? Cam Rising. Because Cam Rising has been playing so well. Well, Utah, in the last couple of weeks, they put Jaquindon Jackson at running back. He had a huge game against USC. So he's now – he was a quarterback move to running back for oh. uh, Utah. Uh, which is kind of cool to see. Um, I always like Utah. I, I mean, oh, yeah. 
they're they're like what Nebraska could be is what I see them as. I now that you say that, I definitely can kind of just see kind of view that. You know, a team that's like not coastal but can get talent and you know do that. So uh, the la- I mean, I guess the last thing we can mention. This is my favorite team that's you know had a big year that's Tulane I think they were like two and ten they were two and ten last year and now they're 11 and two just beat UCF handedly uh in the American title game (laughs) American conference but they're now moving on to the Cotton Bowl against USC uh hopefully Caleb Williams is able to play that game just because he has one of the better players in college football I know he was hurt against Utah but uh, happy for Tulane. I mean, shoot, they're always just – they're just an irrelevant team every year, but now they're playing for a New Year's Six as a group of five schools, so that's fun. Um, I'm actually – I may even try to go to that game because <laughs> it is like – it'll be like 45 minutes from my house that's in the Cotton Bowl. Oh, yeah. I was like – yeah. I, like, I was like blanking on the bowl they yeah. were playing. And I know you said it. I was like, orange, no. Rose, no. Yeah. I ended up getting to Cotton. Fiesta, no. What do you think about the, uh, the uh, Heisman finalists? Man, my overall interest in the Heisman Trophy in the past couple years has really gone down because it's really fun when there's like a running back or a wide receiver in it. Like when Devonta Smith won it, that was yeah. really fun. But it's it's become, and this is just how stats work in football, it's become usually a quarterback award. Like remember in 2009 when Sue, yeah. I mean, we would have been young at the time, yeah. but Sue like was the best player. Who, did Mark Ingram win it that he year? He did. Yeah. But Sue was like, it's just so hard to win it as a defensive player. So I just I I completely understand Max Dugan and Caleb Williams for sure. I can understand CJ Stroud. I don't I don't necessarily he agree won't with win it, it. But I don't agree with Stetson Bennett at all. Yeah, it's I just because he's on a good team. Yeah. I mean, I would have took there's a couple of, Marvin Harrison, Jalen Hyatt, Blake Corum. I mean it's another quarterback, but I still think Hendon Hooker deserved a nod. I mean, he didn't – obviously, he's not going to play the rest of the year. But, I mean, he played well enough to get there. It's just unfortunate what – you know, the I think it was an ACL or MCL. Just very unfortunate. But even Will Anderson, guys like that, I mean, definitely deserve to be in, at least invited. I don't it, know. I it, feel like it's Dugan's award to lose right now. I think if – it sucks to say this, but if TCU would have quarterback sneaked it, I think Duke, like Dugan would probably be a lock to win it. Yeah, just like it, it just looks better because he carried them the entire second oh, half. Oh yeah, oh yeah. He literally almost if they call a quarterback sneak, he, they win the game. Well, that's not true because Kansas State probably would have gone out and scored anyway because uh, they were kind of on fire on offense at that point in the overtime, but. You never know how it would have ended. But, yeah, no. I, I think it's probably Dugan's to lose just because he was such a turnaround story. He wasn't the starter for TCU at the beginning yeah. of the year, partially because the backup was good. And I think he had – did he have surgery or something? I, Yeah, something – he has – I want to say – hold on, Matt. I think it was something with his heart, Yeah, actually. I think he has some sort of, like, medical condition. He had a nine-hour heart surgery. Um, That's what it was. And then played in the spring. Okay, so I would like to see no, Dugan win it. He had it. He had it four weeks before the season started. Yeah, and then he started that that next week. Yeah, because that's just crazy. Yeah, I think because I know when they played Colorado, they started Chandler Morris. Uh, that's the other quarterback. But yeah, no, it, it'd be nice to see Dugan uh, win it. He is from Council Bluffs, not too far away from us, uh, right next to Omaha. But 
I mean, if Caleb Williams is healthy against Utah, that might look better for him as well. I wouldn't be mad if either of those guys won it. But, yeah, that's – I mean, that's the Heisman race. I'm not too invested as in As much it. as it pains me to say, I do think also Bijan Robinson kind of deserves – Oh, yeah, he totally did. He had, like – he averaged, like, over six yards a carry. had, like, over 1,500 yards. I I do dislike Texas with a very strong passion, <laughs> but he is very good. Oh, my – he had 15 – almost 1,600 yards and 18 touchdowns, averaged 6.1 per carry. How is he not in the Heisman – finalist but Stetson Bennett, Stetson Bennett who's a system QB 25 year old is in the okay that's just dumb you know Stetson Bennett turned 20 like a month after he graduated high school I saw that and he's like the same age as Lamar Jackson he is the same age yeah it's weird because in I don't know how it works in Nebraska but in the state of Texas you are ineligible to play high school sports if you were if you're like okay, so suppose you're going into like your senior year of high school. If you turn 19 before the school year starts, you're not allowed to play. Uh, oh really? Yeah. I don't know how it works. It could work very well it, the same in Nebraska. I just it, I think it's different probably in each state. But yeah, like uh, if yeah, if you turn 19 before your senior year, you're not eligible to play any high school sports. If you turn 19 during your senior year, that's fine. So that's kind of the rule they have. But I mean, I guess he's from I would guess somewhere in the south. I don't know if it's Georgia. I haven't looked. Um, Stetson is from Blackshear, Georgia. Okay, I guess in Georgia you can be 19. You can turn, I don't know. Maybe it's different. Who knows? He probably was held back at one point in his life, so that's why he's so old. I actually also was held back, but I'm only 23. Uh, so he he is old. Like, <laughs> he'll be a 26 year old rookie if he like next year. That's just crazy. that's some baseball. That's some like minor league baseball stuff. Anyway. Was it, it Damien Jackson who like went to – he served in the military. Navy he, SEAL. Yeah, came back and – Never mean, played football in his life and then yeah. played football. Yeah. Or the North Texas quarterback who was on the – I think he was like a Yankees minor league system for a while. Austin Ani or something. I don't remember his name. I just remember seeing it on – like yeah. keep bringing up Twitter. It's where I get 90% of my news information nowadays. <laughs> Same. I'm just, just scrolling just through scrolling. Twitter. Yeah. Okay. Well, I think that's everything. Um yeah, no. <laughs> we got into a lot of stuff there. We did. Anyway, uh, before this is over, I just want to give a quick shout-out to Reactor Coffee over on 2124 Y Street. Um, they always give me coffee every week, which is very nice, and they help fuel the podcast. So shout-out to Megan Castor over there. And uh, that's everything from Landon Hostreiter, also Peyton Thomas, who's not here right now, and uh, Daniel Magnuson. This has been Run the Damn Ball. Thanks for listening.